This is the third in a series just looking at this first uh, first passage, really, in the book of 2 Peter, second letter that P- Peter wrote. We're going to read the first 11 verses. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone doesn't have them, he's short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fail, fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, we're mainly going to focus today on uh, the little passage in the middle there from verses 5 through till 9, um, 5 through till 9. But before we do that, it's important to remember what Peter has already reminded us of in these first few verses, because otherwise we can quickly get into a situation where we start to think that Christianity is all about trying your best to do the right things in impressing God. Um, you know, if we started just saying, right, okay, this is what we're preaching on, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and love, you know, otherwise you're going to be ineffective. People could think, oh, it's all just about hard work. It's all about doing things. It's all about us trying to please God. Many people believe that that's what Christianity is about. Many people believe that that's what uh, following Jesus is about. It's about trying to live a good life. You hear people say all the time, don't you? I could never live a life as good as that. I could never be a Christian because I'm not good enough. And it's misunderstandings of passages like this that we're going to focus on um, that make people think that they're not good enough. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And the good news always starts with what God has done for us. It's not good news if it's about us trying to work harder. But it's good news if we understand what God has done for us. And the last two messages I've been focusing on verses 1 to 4. And we've been hearing time and again what God has done for us. It wouldn't be good news if it wasn't for that. It would be impossible. What's Peter already told us? Let's recap. Peter's already told us big things that God has done for us. Big things. He says um, we've received that we've received a faith as precious as that, as ours, as his, as Peter's. A faith as precious as that of the apostles, the people who were with Jesus at the time. It's a big thing that we've received, this faith. He says we've received and continue to receive grace and peace. He says grace and peace be yours, not in small measure, in abundance, big things. Grace and peace in abundance, big grace, big grace, peace. 
through our relationship with Jesus. He says, Jesus' divine power, the power that comes from God, the divine power, the power that created the heavens and the earth, has given us everything we need. Not just some of what we need, not just bits here, bits there. We've all got everything we need for life and godliness. And he says we've been given his great and precious promises and have enabled us to join with God, to participate in the divine nature, to be free from the power of sin. He says we can escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So much that God has given us. Just a few quick verses. But Peter's just been saying one thing after another. God's given you this and he's given you this. And he's given you all that grace and he's given you all that peace and all that power. Everything we need. That's good news. That's the gospel. The good news is that we were helpless without all of those things. We were hopeless without all of those things. Paul uh, gives a similar message, doesn't he? In uh, in various books that he writes, letters that he writes. Ephesians is a good example, but Ephesians 2 and verse 1, he says, "As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. We were dead. We couldn't do anything about it. Nothing would work." Nothing could encourage us to, to live godly lives, to live lives uh, worthy of him, godly, peaceful, self-controlled, all of those things that Peter's mentioned. We couldn't do that. Why? Because we were dead in our transgressions and sins. No incentives could help, no threats, no punishments. There is no way that we could have changed. That's why if we just preach on, if I just preach this morning on verses 5 to 9 of 2 Peter, without us understanding this, without us knowing this context, it's just going to be depressing. Because it would be, it would be like preaching to people who would, who were dead if, if we'd never understood that. If we'd never come into the life that God had given us. You know, have you ever tried to get a dead person to do anything? You ever been down the morgue? Come on, get up. No, it's not going to happen. You can't get a dead person to do anything. And we can't do some of the things that, that the Bible will go on and exhort. And, and there are parts of the Bible like this which exhort us to live our lives in certain ways. Do you know what? Unless we've received life, if we're still dead, we cannot do anything. Let's not make the mistake. Of, of telling people who, who don't know God, who don't know this life, how they should live their lives. Because the Bible never does that. The Bible knows there's no point. There's no point in trying to tell unbelievers how to live their lives. Because they're dead. They're dead. But Paul goes on and says that God has made us alive. In verse 4 of Ephesians 2. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace that you have been saved. God's made us alive. He's given us new life. So now we're able to, 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 to live. We're able to do some stuff that we could never do before. We're able to be godly and live the way that God wants us to live. As we've been hearing this morning, what, what God said to us through Ginny, we've been set free. We've been set free. And now we can know, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. We can do all things. We have the power to live our lives through Christ who strengthens us. What could we do before? No things, nothing. It was hopeless. And that's what Peter's going on to talk about here. He's going on to talk about how we can do all things. He's going on to to tell us about the things that we are now able to do. Before we were dead in our sins, we couldn't do anything else. We were slaves, Paul says in Romans. Slaves to sin. We had to obey our sinful natures. We had to obey sin, which was our master. Now, the chains are gone. We're free. We can walk free. We don't have to live in that way anymore. So Paul, Peter says, so live in this way. Go on and live in this way. He goes on to talk, doesn't he, in verse 5. For this very reason, add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. Those are the things that we can add to our faith. And we'll look at those in, in weeks to come, those different things that we can, we can add to our faith. But Peter's saying, for this very reason, that's the reason, the reason is because of what he's already said. The reason is because we've already received this power. We know that the gospel can be outworked in our lives. So what Peter uses that expression for this very reason. Paul tends to use um, the expression, therefore. Um, for example, in Romans chapter 12, he's had 11 chapters of explaining what God has done for us. It's always got to come first. We've got to understand what God's done for us. 12 chapters in Romans, and he ends by saying, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? And he goes on, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And then he carries on and says, therefore, therefore, in view of all that, for this very reason, he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living and sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We've had all this stuff that God's done. Therefore, live in this way. For this very reason, live your lives like this. We need to remember that there's a therefore. We need to remember that there's a for this very reason. Otherwise, it's only half of the gospel. And we can fall into error. We can get into problems in two different ways if we don't take both halves together. As we've already seen, if we just take the second part, that this is how you live your life, without understanding the first of what God's done for us, we just get bound up in legalism. We, we, we end up trying to live better lives to please God, and we fail. But if we just take the first part without the second part, we end up with our lives looking exactly the same as everyone else's. We start to imagine that we've got a freedom to do whatever we like. It's as though, wow, God's done all this for us. God has set us free. God's forgiven us. And we hear the gospel and it's true that we can stand before God. And we can stand before God on the day of judgment. And we know that because of Jesus' faithfulness, because of his great love for us, because of his sacrifice on the cross. We know that we can stand before him on the day of judgment and we can be seen as righteous. Not because of anything that's gone on in our lives, 
but because he clothes us in his righteousness. We're declared right before God. But you know what? We, we can just take that declaration. We can take that statement and we can see it as a kind of get out of jail free card. You know, you, you play Monopoly. You play Monopoly and you get all the cards. You go, oh, I've got a get out of jail free card. Fantastic. Next time, I'll just put that there. I'll just leave it to one side. And then if I go around and if I get put in prison for whatever reason, you know, just shaking three doubles, I think it is. Serious crime there. And uh, <laughs> whatever it is that we've done in Monopoly to get put in jail. Ah, no, I don't have to go to jail because I've got my get out of jail free card. We can see what God has done for us is just like a get out of jail free card. I'll just carry on as normal. And I've got my little card there. I've got my ticket to heaven and it's all okay. Just live my life how I want. Doesn't matter if I, if I sleep around. Doesn't matter if I go out and get drunk. Doesn't matter if I get involved in these things or that thing. Whatever it might be, lie a bit. Doesn't matter because I've got my get into heaven free card. It's from Jesus. I can live how I want. And that's a, and that's a misunderstanding of the gospel. That's not a full understanding of the gospel. You've got half of it. You've got the bit that says God's done all this for you. We can't do anything. Wonderful. But he goes on and says, so therefore, in the light of this, for this very reason, we can change. We end up with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once called cheap grace. Cheap grace. Grace without cost, he described it as. Grace without repentance. Grace that does everything for us so that everything can remain as it was before. Forgiveness without repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession, Bonhoeffer said. It's cheap grace. It's a, it's a lack of understanding. So we've got two examples, two extremes of wrong teaching that we don't want to fall into about the gospel. We don't want to fall into knowing, thinking that we earn our salvation through keeping the rules, legalism. And we don't want to fall into the fact that we can have salvation without the need to have to change our behavior, which is sometimes called antinomianism. You don't have to remember that. Most of us know that both of those things are wrong. We kind of know that both things People who preach know that both things are wrong. Um, but the safer danger sometimes seems to be the antinomianism rather than legalism, especially for preachers. Oh, we need to, need to really avoid legalism. We need to make sure that we're teaching about God's grace and God forgiving us and us standing right before God, and we do. But we mustn't neglect in our lives the other side of things. I wonder whether in the 21st century the Western church is in more danger of the last extreme, in more danger of forgetting about the therefores, in more danger of forgetting about the for this very reason. I mean, do we, do we almost mentally edit out parts of the Bible? Even parts here, let, let's just take parts here, you know, verse 3. His, do we sometimes say, his divine power has given us everything we need. Wonderful, praise God. Oh, we, we've kind of missed the last bit. For life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need for godliness, but we can mentally edit out that bit. Do we read verses like Ephesians 1.4? Uh, as this, he chose us in himself before the creation of the world. Oh, wonderful, God, you've chosen me before the creation of the world. You hear people saying that. Thank you, God, that you've done that. And then we forget that it goes on to say, to be holy, 
and blameless in his sight. And we can do it with lots of things. For example, the, the Great Commission. Now, don't turn to it. Don't turn to it, but we, most of us have got an idea of what the Great Commission is. Okay, what... I'm going to throw it out a little bit here. <laughs> what does the Great Commission tell us? Go make disciples, okay? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yeah. I didn't quite hear that. Teaching them everything I've commanded you. Okay. Sorry? Say, I'll be with you always. Yeah. Disciple them. Okay. It's in Matthew 28. Okay, so we've had things like going to all the nations, teaching. Um, no one said baptizing. Um, but it says, uh, this is what Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I think we had that. Um, baptizing them. don't think anyone said that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them, not just teaching them everything I have commanded you, teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded you. See, we edit those things out. Even Ben was thinking he was being clever getting that. But he edited it. <laughs> that word, obey. <laughs> and surely I am with you. Always to the very ends of the age. We've got the, con- we've got the um, encouragement that God's with us. But Jesus is saying, teach people to obey what I've commanded. Not just teach them. Not just say, oh, Jesus said these things. No. These are some things that Jesus said, and they're to be obeyed. And we can edit it out. So we can react against legalism, which tells us what we have to do to please God. And in the past, maybe that was emphasized more. That was emphasized definitely too much. People in churches would know that they weren't allowed to smoke or don't drink, don't go to the cinema, don't have sex, don't dance, whatever it might be. But actually now we can think, we can think more along the lines of the Corinthian church. We know we've got freedom. We've been set free. We are, we're not under law anymore. And the Corinthians knew that, but they took it to extremes. And so there was all sorts of issues that Paul was having to deal with in the, with the Corinthians. Issues about um, sexual immorality and other immorality. People not getting on with each other. And he says this in chapter 6, verse 9, 1 Corinthians. Don't you know? The wicked won't inherit the kingdom of God. But don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, or male prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, or thieves, or the greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? You should have changed. You should have changed from what you were. You've been made right with God. You stand clean before God. He's not disputing that. But he's saying... But you've, you've changed. And then he starts quoting them. Quoting what they have said to him, maybe in a letter. Oh, everything's permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. And he's saying, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible for me. But I'll not be mastered by anything, Paul says. Mm, food for the stomach and food and the stomach for food. Look, but God will destroy them both. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for his body. And he goes on from there and encourages them to flee from sexual immorality. He says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. It's not cheap grace. Honor God with your body. 
There's implications in our lives for what God has done for us. And Paul's trying to explain that. And Peter's trying to explain that as well. And we can think that we've understood God's grace. But then we come to passages like this one in in 2 Peter. And we get nervous. We get scared. We get scared by other words like duty. We get scared by words like discipline. And this one in 1 Peter 5. Effort. Make every effort. What? Make every effort? Surely that's, surely that's legalism. Peter, that's legalism. Make every effort. We can't make every effort. And it goes on. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. We can't add to the faith. It's all what God's given to us. We can't bring anything. Oh, well, it's heretical. Well, it's in the Bible. So it's not. We've got to, we've got to cope with these things. We've got to work out what this means. We've got to hold those two things in tension. Make every effort to add to your faith. It's not as though, because it's not just Peter who's saying this. You know, some people take individual writers in, in the in the New Testament. James is, is a, a classic one. James, oh, he's such a legalist, is James. He brings he, he preaches a totally different message to Paul. No, he doesn't. He's just bringing a different emphasis for a different situation. But it's the same message. Paul, because oh, Paul, he's full of grace. He's totally anti-legalism. He's, you know, well, how many things does Paul go on to talk about in his letters? What does all the things that Paul tells us to do? It's not as though Paul suddenly thinks, you know, halfway through Romans, gets to chapter 11 and whatever, and just thinks, do you know what? I've gone on this for quite long enough. I, I think I've... I've had enough of this grace thing. I'm going to get down to telling people what they need to start doing. You know, forget grace. Let's, let's get on to this stuff now. No, he's, he's not switching message. He's not switching tack. Neither is Peter. There is grace in both. There's grace for justification. God in his grace makes us right before God. And there's grace for what we call sanctification too. For God changing us, changing our lives, our character changing, our godliness and our holiness in that sense increasing. Because there's grace, because God has given us everything we need. That's grace. God's given us everything we need for godliness and life. He's equipped us. Grace. So what is Peter exhorting us to do, urging us to do? Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, Godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. As I say, we'll look at some of these in detail in another week. But we can kind of sum that up in one word, holiness. Peter's encouraging us to holiness. So when he says, add to your faith these things, he's not meaning God hasn't given us something that we've got to just provide ourselves. In fact, he's told us that we've got everything we need already in verse 3. But he's saying, bring about grow, develop those things in you that you can now do, that you're now free to do because you're part of the divine nature, because you have got God's power at work within you, because you have been set free from sin. You're no longer its slave anymore because you're now not dead. You're alive. So you can do these things. You can grow. We can see fruit coming in your life. We can see things happening. The fruit of the spirit is another way of putting it. Or another way of saying it, God is wanting us to develop spiritual muscles. How do you develop your muscles? You develop muscles by making every 
effort. Making every effort. There's a picture uh, going to come up on the screen in a minute of a, of a, of a child. Now, I wonder if anyone uh, will know who this child is. Anyone know who that is? Oh, John Allen knows. Go on, John. It is Arnold Schwarzenegger. There he is. Arnold Schwarzenegger was Mr. Universe. There he is at school. He's not, he's not particularly looking, you know, that toned at the moment, is he? He's not, he's not looking that, like that ripped. He's, he's there. I don't know what, he's obviously, you know, I don't know what his mate's doing there. He's obviously <laughs> said something he shouldn't. <laughs> but there he is, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now he has been given, he had been given everything that he needed to make him strong. He had got muscles. And he did have access to gym equipment and weights. But how did he get to be like this next picture? How did he get to be Mr. Universe? There he is. He got to be like that. Am I causing a distraction for people now? He got to be, he got to be like that. By making every effort with what he got. Let's take him off. He had to make, take it, get rid of him. <laughs> at age 15, at age 15, Arnold Schwarzenegger started intensive weight training. He worked and trained for six, four to six hours every day. During that time, he had to do a year of national service in the Austrian army. And he went AWOL. He went absent without leave at one point because he was training. He was doing his training. He ended up being put in military prison for one week during that year because he went AWOL. Because he was training and working. And he said afterwards, participating, he was training for a competition. He said, participating in the competition meant so much to me that I didn't think about the consequences. Okay. Well, he's, he's obsessed with it. That was his main focus. He actually wasn't even aware of the consequences. He actually even missed his father's funeral at one point because he was training and gave himself so much. He was obsessed. He desperately wanted to win the Mr. Universe competition because he thought that was going to be his way out of Austria into America. He thought America was the place he was going to be. His main aim, actually, was to be a top actor. Well, he did make Mr. Universe. Um, <laughs> he, he, won, he won Mr. Universe four times. Four times. Mr. Universe. How did he manage to do it? Because he had put the effort in. He'd already got everything he needed. The gym was there. The training was there. Now imagine me. Imagine I had access to all the best weights that there were. Imagine I had access to all the best gym equipment. It was freely given to me. Let's just imagine someone said, Mark, you look like you need a good workout. Here you are. Here's the equipment. We've built an extension at the back of your house. It's a gym. You can just go down there. You can do all the training. Fantastic. That isn't going to change anything in my body unless I start to use it. Unless I start to put the effort in. Unless I start to do the training. I'm not going to change. And neither would Arnold Schwarzenegger. God has provided us everything we need to develop our spiritual muscles for life and godliness. But Peter knows we still have to be encouraged to make every effort. 
We have to make every effort. Why? Because we have a tendency to be lazy. We all have a tendency just to be lazy. Many of us have just learned to live with our weakness. Oh, that's just the way I am. Actually, my muscles aren't that strong. Oh, I don't think they're going to change. And so we just get used to it. Oh, that's, that's the way I am. We become accepting of ourselves. And we say to people, well, that's just how I am. This, this is my, I've got some strengths, but these are my weaknesses. And hey, you know, I can't do anything about that. We can. Kevin DeYoung uh, has written an excellent book called The Whole in Our Holiness. The Whole in Our Holiness. And he says this. There is the reality that holiness is plain hard work. And we're often lazy. We like our sins. And dying to them is painful. Almost everything is easier than growing in godliness. So we try and fail, try and fail, and then give up. It's easier to sign a petition protesting against man's inhumanity to man than to love your neighbor as yourself. It's one thing to be ready to graduate from college, ready to change the world. It's another to be resolute in praying that God will change you. So i read that last sentence again. It's one thing to graduate from college ready to change the world. It's another to be resolute in praying that God will change you. How true that is. We can easily direct our focus elsewhere. It is easy to get involved in campaigns and petitions. Interesting that he talks about those graduating. And it's great to welcome students here uh, today, many for the first time or maybe back from the summer break. And I wonder, what are you wanting to achieve in your years at university? How is it that you are wanting to see your faith in God expressed? You see, many students join organizations like Stop the Traffic, um, which addresses issues of human trafficking, or Speak, which is a Christian network campaigning and praying against issues of global injustice. And these are great organizations to be involved in. Please hear me right. I'm not saying don't get involved in those things. They're fantastic. It is biblical to be involved in such issues. But if we look at the weight of what the Bible says, if we look at where the Bible emphasizes certain things, we will find that far more is said about our holiness, especially in the New Testament. Far more is written about our holiness, being holy as God is holy. For example, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Great! Minds set for action. What are we going to do? Sort of campaign against this? Speak to our MP? No. Be self-controlled. Oh, self-controlled? Set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Peter's saying, get ready for action. And we can think the action is something else. It's something out there. And Peter's saying, the action is in here. This is what we have to get ready for. We have to train ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves. We have to make every effort. Oh, that's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work. Isn't that legalism? No, it's not legalism. Because God's given us everything we need. We're not impressing God by doing it. We're not winning God's favor 
by doing those things. We're being who God has made us to be. People can often say, oh, you know, I am who I am. We've got to be true to ourselves. Isn't that one of the expressions these days that everyone says, oh, this is how you've got to live your life. Be true to yourself. That's how you can live a good life. Just be true to yourself. Actually, they, they, they forget that, you know, what does it mean if being true to yourself means being a racist? Is that a good, a good advice? It's not. If being true to yourself means uh, being a paedophile, no. But it's just said as some random thing, oh, we need to be true to ourselves. No, we don't. Actually, we do biblically. Because when we've come to know God, when we've been set free, when we've been declared righteous, we need to be true to ourselves. We need to be who God says we are. God says, you are righteous. You are holy before me. You are pure. So we need to be those things. We need to be true to ourselves. We don't want to live the way the world tells us that we are. We want to live the way that God tells us that we are. And God says, this is who you are. And so we say, oh God, help me to be that person. I will help you. I've given you my spirit. I've given you everything you need. I've set you free from the power of sin. You can be who you are. But you're going to have to put some effort in. It's not just going to happen like that. You're not just going to have a character transformation straight away. It's hard work. And we need to give ourselves to it. But we can do it. We can obey everything that God has taught us. And Jesus will be with us always. We can easily slip into lazy attitudes. Living a holy lifestyle as well isn't going to get as much applause from our friends as maybe other things are. You know, how much notice do we really take of some of the things that the Bible tells us? For example, Ephesians 3, 5, verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And we can kind of just think, ah, not really important. The main thing is the gospel, isn't it? The main thing is what God's done for us. Yeah. But, but Paul's explained that in the whole of Ephesians. He's done the same thing as in Romans. He's gone through, explained what God's done to us. And he said, and therefore, we need to be imitators of God. That's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 5. Be imitators of God. Live a life of love. These things don't have any place in our lives, he's saying. You're not being true to who you are. You've received righteousness from God. Don't just go and live in the way of the world. Don't just go and live in the ways you used to live. You couldn't do anything else then, but now you can. So be righteous. Be holy. We can easily just think, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's only through putting in the effort that we will be productive. In verse 8 of chapter 2, of the 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, if you possess these, in, these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have these qualities in increasing measure, see, it doesn't come straight away. The muscles for Arnold Schwarzenegger, they didn't come straight away. It took him five years, five years before he won Mr. Universe. 
He built up to it. We build up to it. We possess these qualities in increasing measure. But what, what will it be like? Actually, if we don't have them, if we don't live like this, we will be ineffective and unproductive. That's not good. That's not good. We don't want to be ineffective. We don't want to be unproductive, but that's what we will be. More, moreover, verse 9 says, if anyone doesn't have them, he's short-sighted and blind. He can't see where God is leading us. Can't see what God is doing. Short-sighted. Even blind. What's God doing in my life? I can't, I can't feel God in my life. It doesn't seem as though he's here. Can you see? Have you got these qualities? Are these things, are you cultivating these qualities in your life? Are you developing your spiritual muscles? If you're not, you're going to be short-sighted. You're going to be blind. You're going to be ineffective. You're going to be unproductive. Well, where's God? I just want God to come. He's come. He wants you to live out your faith, to be who you are. When we're short-sighted and blind, we'll, we'll, we'll start to focus on worldly things, the things that are set before us. We won't set our, our minds on heavenly things. We won't lift our eyes up as we've been encouraged to do this morning. You know, Kirsten's saying, oh, looking at the mud on our feet. Actually, if we're short-sighted, that's all we're going to see. This is what I've got. This is my life. Yeah, but look at this. Oh, I can't see that far. I'm, I'm short-sighted. Oh, I'm, I'm blind. No, this is all I can see. This is my life. This is, oh, it's a mess. It's terrible. Actually, no. My life's, I'm, I'm ineffective. I'm, I'm, I feel I'm not productive for God. We need to possess these qualities. We need to start being who we are. It's effort. We'll, we'll forget what God's already done if we're blind. We'll forget he's cleansed us from our sin. We'll lose the joy of our salvation. We'll forget even what it means to be forgiven. It will just become like a vague, distant thing. Oh, do you know what? I I think I responded to God once years ago. It doesn't really seem to have any effect on my life now. I'm not sure. It can't really have been real. Actually, it's got fuzzy. And, And when we see it like that, when it becomes an unreal memory, vague, distant, then there's the real danger that we'll just slip back into the state we were in beforehand. And we won't have any strength to withstand the onslaught of sin. As I say, we will possess these qualities if we start and if we continue to make every effort. We'll possess them in increasing measure. I'm not going to get Mr. Universe muscles muscles by going to the gym every day for a week. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if I do it every day for a month. I have to give myself to it day after day after day. If we dedicate ourselves to a living a godly and holy lifestyle, we will change in time, but it won't change anything in a week. We'll possess them increasingly, day by day as we go along. So actually the issue isn't how good we are. The issue isn't how much we display perseverance and self-control and godliness and knowledge, and brotherly kindness, and love. We're not to look around and uh, at people and go, oh, well, do you know what? They don't look to be showing many of those qualities. So, so they, can't, they can't be living a, a, a lifestyle pleasing to God. Actually, they may very well be, because they might be putting a lot of effort into their lives, because we're all at different places. 
We're all at different places in developing our spiritual muscles. Some of us have been developing them for years. Some of us have been developing them for just a few days. And we can't expect the same things from someone who's been following Jesus and developing those spiritual muscles for years and years and years as we'd expect someone who's recently saved. We just can't put them side by side. And we can easily do that and get judgmental about people. No. Actually, the question we need to ask is how much effort is being put in? How much are we giving ourselves? How much are we focusing, like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Actually, some of those other things aren't even important to us. And the Bible says things like, you know, Jesus says, follow me. And someone says, oh, no, let me first go and bury my father. Oh, Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Focus on this. It seems a bit harsh. Actually, that's what Arnold Schwarzenegger did. He, he missed his father's funeral because he's focusing on the thing that is the most important thing for him. The sad thing is, it's not the most important thing. He's, he missed it. But he's shown a dedication to what he felt the most important thing was. And brothers and sisters, we believe that the most important thing in our lives is God. And is following him and in living our lifestyle and getting to know him more. And so we give ourselves to it. And it, and it becomes the most important thing. And it's not that we miss our father's funeral and such like that. But it's that we're single-minded. We're focused in on those things. And we give ourselves to it. It's important to remember in all of this that we're not just pursuing holiness to be a better person. That's not the goal. We're not, we're not just doing this to be a better person because someone's told us we have to. We're pursuing these things because in pursuing these things, we're pursuing God. We're pursuing Jesus. We're coming to know him more. We're getting to know his love more in our life. We're seeking him out more in response to everything that he has done for us. Let's remember that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness so we can participate in the divine nature. In other words, we're united with Christ. As we are made more godly, as we are made more holy in our lifestyles and we we escape the corruption in the world, we are more and more united with him. It's not about living up to a moral standard. It's about living out a real union with Jesus because he is our first love and he remains our first love. And we actively pursue him to make sure he remains our first love. When when John is, is uh, when God's uh, Jesus is speaking to the churches, and he says to the church in uh, is it Philadelphia that has lost its first love? Um, maybe not. Maybe another one. Anyway, one of the churches he says, "I have this against you: you have lost your first love. You've left your first love behind." That's not just happened because God's left them. It's because they've stopped pursuing God. They've stopped pursuing him. They've got distracted by the things of the world. They've got distracted by other things. They've allowed other things to take God's place. And God and Peter here is encouraging us to live out this life. Actively pursue Jesus. Actively pursue holiness to make sure that he remains our first love. Let's take this exhortation seriously. We'll, we'll pad it out. We'll fill out some more of what it means in weeks to come. But let's take this seriously. 
We've been given so much by God. He's made us alive when we were dead. Let's pursue him. Let's pursue godliness. Let's be who we are. Let's be true to ourselves and really live our lives for his glory. So let's pray.